The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It is Thursday sometime in the quarantine. Who really knows when? Uh, Arizona is open and California's closed for the foreseeable 12 years or something like that. Uh, things are happening. Exciting stuff. Um, we will find out more soon what the NFL season will look like. Obviously, it's a few months away, but the, the NFL is planning for it to happen as normal, but uh, our own Jonathan Jones, good friend of the show, colleague at CBSSports.com and CBS Sports Network and CBS Sports HQ and everywhere, uh, is joining us now to break down a lengthy, excellent three-part series on what an NFL season might look like if there are no fans. JJ, what's going on, buddy? Well, happy to be here. Hope you and yours are safe, happy, and healthy. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're fine. We're, um, we're, we're safe and healthy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I noticed what you <laughs> omitted there. Yeah. I mean, look, I showed up to this podcast late because my son was like forcing me to like stop paying attention to time, uh, in order to watch Jake's Buccaneer blast and got mad when I was like, dude, I got to go right now. Like I'm late. And, and he's like, no, no, you have to watch Jake's. I like, I have seen Jake's Buccaneer blast 400,000 times. I know. That they end up beating Captain Hook and getting no spoiler, spoilers here for anybody who hadn't seen the 20 minute or 40 minute, whatever thing it is on, on Netflix. The, it's like a Lego thing. I mean, it's, 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 it's just ridiculous. Like at this point, I mean, my son is just beating us down to the, to the point where, uh, I walk into the bedroom very, very early on, uh, Wednesday morning and my, he quickly like hits, he had the remote in his hands. He quickly hits the home button. It goes back to like the Roku home. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, nothing. I'm like, you're, you're watching YouTube, aren't you? He's like, what? No, me? No. I mean, it's just, and I'm like, whatever, dude. I don't, I don't care. We're too deep into this. I got nothing left. How are you hanging in there? Yeah. Uh, I, I was great until I just learned that I, uh, ripped you away from your young child. So no, thank you. Uh, I, I didn't want to watch the rest of Jake's Buccaneer Blast. <laughs> but no, I'm hanging in there. This series, uh, really, you know, I, I, I looked at the timestamp on the first text that I sent out to a source and it's, it's been a month. Of, wow. uh, wow. yeah, of just like digging into, to the story. And, uh, you know, it, I think it topped out at about 7,000 words for all three parts. And so that also took some time to write. 
Uh, and then, you know, everything changes, it seems like, every day. So there's tweaks to be made. But, yeah, uh, that's what I've been doing the past month. That's kind of nice. Though. I found that, like, the best part of quarantine was when there was work distraction, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it does make the time go by faster, right? You're not just like yeah. looking at the clock and being like, okay, it's definitely been an hour, right? And then it's been 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, this is where, you know, people are always like, I, I mean, your job is so, like, I bet your job's so great. And you're like, yeah, like, it's pretty good. But I mean, there's some stuff about my job that I, I really, really hate. Um, this is where like writing about football for a living is, is kind of nice. Uh, anyway, what empty stadiums could cost the NFL and how they're trying to solve the financial strain? JJ, what, when the league looks at this, because TV contracts are a much bigger part of professional football than college football. What, um, what, 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 what's the level of concern one to 10 on these, on these, uh, NFL teams on having empty stadiums for football games? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a huge concern, but it's also like, you know, they understand that this is what's going to happen is that they are not going to get, if you have a 70,000 seat stadium, you're not going to get 70,000 people in there. And so, right. and so, yes, you are correct that the national revenue is, is made up mostly of broadcast rights. And that is the large majority of the pool of money that the, the total revenue that is split 52, 48 from, uh, right from owners to players. But also in that salary cap formula is local revenue, what each team creates. And obviously the larger market teams usually create more money than the smaller market teams. Uh, clearly the Jets are going to generate more money than the Jaguars on any given year. But to keep competitive balance, as we all understand, why a team in Green Bay can compete for a world title against a team in L.A. or New York is because of the revenue sharing. So um, when, when you look at all of this, uh, what you make from – your home games is around seven to $10 million, depending on the team for each home game. You multiply that out by the 10 games, two preseason and eight uh, regular season. And we're talking somewhere between 70 to a hundred million dollars in gate receipts. And that's before you could include concessions and parking. Right. Uh, and yeah, there are some operating expenses um, uh, like staffing events, of course, but ultimately if there are no fans and you get zero gate receipts and zero concessions and zero parking, that what you're going to be looking at is across the board about 70 to 100 million dollars per team that they're missing out on in revenue that would go to the salary cap. So split that in half, right? The 52-48. And we're talking about 35 to 50 million dollars that would be lacking from a salary cap. So if this past year's salary cap was 198.2 million dollars, or rather the current salary cap is that, you subtract, let's say worst case, right? Let's say 50 million dollars from that. We're now talking about 148 Whoa. million dollars of, of a salary cap. So I think this is in, we recorded this on Wednesday and your article, the second part of your article, uh, I believe is, is out as we're, as we're talking and all three parts will be out, uh, as people are listening to this. Um, but, that that cap hit is like, I mean, that's a, that's a thing, man. Like that's a, like that, oh, yeah. if the cap drops by $50 million, the, okay. So what do you think the most important aspect of that is? Is it uh like, is it players being squeezed out or is it teams having to make like all, like could all of a sudden the 2021 free agency just be this wild west bananas, like the, the, the class, the, the number of people that are cut because the salary cap is sliced in half. I mean, could it just be an, ins, like an insanely huge class? Is the NFL 
um, going to try and raise the debt, the debt ceiling that teams can borrow right. to, to improve the cap? Like what, what do you think the, the, the outcome, if the worst case scenario that you're describing happens? Yes. So first of all, it would be a bonanza. And I want to be clear that it likely is not going to happen for the reasons I want to get to, but let's just go down this road for a second. And so let's say the cap is, I I said 148, let's say it's 140. Let's say it was really bad. It's 140. The Atlanta Falcons are going to be paying about six players, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Jake Matthews, Grady Jarrett, uh, Deion Jones, and I think one other player, they would if they if they keep their cap hits where they are and it's 140 next year the falcons would have about 3.7 million dollars in cap space hmm. for the rest of their roster and so based on a based on a on a 140 or 190 based on 140 okay and so obviously the falcons would not be able to operate and what you, what teams cannot do is go back to these guys uh you know i'm going to use matt ryan or julio jones as an example and say hey I need twenty million dollars of your of this year's salary back to pay for the rest of the team. Like they'd be <laughs> like, "Yeah, we're not going to do that." Right. Um, and like if CBS, it's the equivalent of like CBS coming to you and being like, "Hey, JJ, we need, um, you know, uh, you know, Brinson uh, messed up on the pot. Like he bought, like he bought something for the podcast, and uh, you know, we need 50, <laughs> we need like twenty five grand from you to pay to pay him." And you'd be like, "Yeah, that's cool. We're friends, but crabs. Like that's not yeah, that, that that's a tough one." Yeah. And so you kind of go through all of these things. Yeah, you're right. It could be a bonanza where basically the middle class is going to get squeezed out. The 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 Falcons are not going to get rid of Matt Ryan, but they are going to get rid of their number two linebacker. Right? There's there's no more middle class. You're going to have a bunch of people uh, on the league minimum. You're going to have a bunch of rookies, uh, and then you're also going to have uh, Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Well, I mean, I almost wonder though, like, well, Julio is see, but like Julio, I guess you can't really cut him. You can, I mean, I mean, he's 32. I guess what I'm saying is like, and Julio is kind of a bad example because I, I don't think the Falcons would actually go through with cutting Julio freaking Jones, but they do have Calvin Ridley and you could do Julio. Like if you were desperate, I mean, you could trade or cut Julio Jones. And- oh, right. You could, you could. Now you wouldn't trade him because everybody would know that you were going to cut him because you have Calvin Ridley. Right. right. But, but ultimately that is the worst case scenario, right? That's sort of Armageddon. Really Armageddon is that no games are played. And the, and the owners still have to pay the players because there is no force majeure. If no games are played in 2020, they still have to pay them. And now they make no money because no games were played. And now we reach 2021 with a lower salary cap. That is Armageddon, but we're not really considering that in this, in this process, right? Right. So what ultimately is going to happen is because players aren't going to want to give back the money, but then the owners are also not going to want to get rid of the, the team that they've built over the years, a competitive team, they all believe. And so they're all going to have to go back to the table, uh, the same table that they set at for the CBA. They're going to have to go back and say, how are we going to figure out how to spread this cap hit over the years, right? This dip. And are we going to borrow against future earnings? Now you can get into trouble with that, right? Uh, it, it, we, we expect, let's say, a spike in TV revenues, as they have always been saying, and let's borrow against that. You just, you have to project into the future. And right now, in these quote unquote uncertain times, who wants to project too far into the future? Um, but ultimately, that's likely what's going to have to happen. So, uh, in the years where we uh, we probably thought the cap was going to go up to 210 in 2021, right. you know, as recently as three months ago, it's probably going to stay around 198. It might even take a little bit of a hit, and it may continue. It may stay a static cap for two or three years before you start seeing those increases because of this. Yeah. Okay. 
So in other words, we thought, so actually it might look a lot like the 2011 CBA. Um, That's right. By ver- not by virtue of the financial construction of the collective bargaining agreement as it was back then, but by virtue of, you know, the revenue hit taken from the Corona, you know, COVID-19 situation where you have flat, 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 and then spike like crazy, which I mean, would be interesting in that, like, I, I think that it would, I'm trying to remember 2011 to 2014. If it does feel like when the, when the, when the cap is flat, that you, uh, have a group of teams, elite, uh, like not teams that are run, teams that are run by smart people that tend to separate themselves. Like we really saw a lack of parity early on in, in the CBA because the cap was flat and you didn't have this, you know, crank up of $10 million a year where bad GMs could cover up their mistakes with spending. Right, right. And so let's also look at, in this scenario where the cap is flat, the three guys that we're all talking about right now, we're talking about Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson, potentially $40 million men, right? And Patrick Mahomes will make more than than the other two. We understand that. We know why. But we have been saying this for the past eight, nine months, certainly since the Super Bowl in Mahomes' case, with the idea that the cap is going to go up and that his percentage of uh, his salary percentage tied to the salary cap will decrease over time because of these spikes. Well, let's say the cap, if the cap takes a 40, $50 million hit this year and you pay him $40 million per year, you can't have this quarterback costing 30% of the team's salary cap. But even if it stays static, that's still somewhere on the order of 15 to 18% that he would be counting against the cap. And so that's where a lot of the people who are ultimately going to get screwed in this, they may be the quarterbacks who are ready for a big payday. Now, uh, uh, sources told me that they're still going to get paid, and you'll figure out ways to pay them. But now, uh, maybe- now, JJ, let me ask you this. I think that this is a really interesting point. Do you think if you thought of this and I'm currently thinking of this, do you think that Jerry Jones might be thinking of a way to use the current situation to leverage Dak Prescott? You know, possibly. So here's the thing is that I would, the, the, I would say definitely. <laughs> yeah. I, so the, the franchise, tag, excuse me. Yeah. The franchise tag is the formula is tied to a percentage of the salary cap. Mm-hmm. So a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, who is likely to be tagged if he, well, he will be tagged if they do not reach an extension. Uh, typically his franchise tag would be around $19 million next year. But because it's tied to a percentage of the cap, and if the cap goes down, that number may go down. Now, that's not the same for the exclusive rights tag, which, of course, the Cowboys would again extend to Dak Prescott. So I think despite where we are in the world, I think Dak Prescott is still on a Kirk Cousins-like trajectory in terms of the tag because he would again be exclusive rights tag. They, they would not franchise tag him because I do believe that a team, if he, if that tag is tied to a percentage of the salary cap, would be willing to give up two first-round picks yeah. in order to get him. Well, but now remember now the – um for Dak, the the percentage wouldn't even matter because he's already been tagged once and the salary cap's already set for 20, 2020. So for Dak, he would actually, even if the salary cap stays flat, he still gets a 20% raise, right? That's right. That's right. And yeah. so that that could happen right now. And so here's the other thing. The other thing is, and the Cowboys aren't necessarily in this position because they print money, but a lot of the other teams, that's why the debt ceiling uh, being raised from 350 million to 500 million is interesting because the NFL has for a very long time not wanted 
uh, its team owners to be over leveraged, right? And so now you can borrow cash against the equity of the team. If you have cash flow issues, hello, Mark Davis and the Raiders. Well, <laughs> and so if you are, if you're going to extend a quarterback and give him, you know, new money, uh, that, you know, is going to be $70 million that you have to pay up front at the, at the time of signing. A lot of teams may not actually have that much money to do that. And that's why you have seen, that's, that's a, a, a huge reason why you have seen the debt ceiling being raised from 350 to 500. Mm, interesting. And so I'm curious, I mean, I, I just wonder like if I'm Dak Prescott or I'm Patrick Mahomes or I'm Deshaun Watson and my t- and the team I play for is attempting because like look NFL NFL teams and this extends to real life as well I can promise you uh, NFL teams are smart and they will know that a um that the pandemic while obviously there are bigger concerns to worry about there's an opportunity here to sort of crank up negotiations with your star quarterback and say hey look you know we want to lock you down we'd love to give you forty million Patrick but you know look at look at this article from Jonathan Jones we're gonna lose seventy million dollars. In local revenue. What if we go ahead and knock this thing out and just get you a 35 and, uh, and you know, we'll, you know, we'll put some guaranteed money in there, but let's get 35 over the next five years and just figure this thing out, lock it down, get you, you know, you'll be paid. You'll be set for life. You won't have to worry about it. And if you're, I mean, I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to flinch and I doubt Dak Prescott flinches and I doubt Deshaun Watson flinches, but I mean, you know, there is something enticing about having a guaranteed contract in hand. Um, you know, especially like Deshaun's torn his ACL twice. Uh, right. I just wonder if that sort of leverage might be in play here. Yeah, patience is is probably ultimately going to pay off. Again, I don't want to get we, – we really – we'd be fools to forecast too far into the future. But if you do believe that we that we as a country are going to rebound from this, and it hopefully will be sooner rather than later if we're talking about a, a five-year period – if you do believe that and you're Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, or whomever may be being told, eh, maybe you want to take this offer on the table, then you would be wise to be patient. But, you know, it, it's I, I sat in on an NFL seminar on flipping houses and the word that they that uh, folks um, who were giving advice to current and former NFL players was, hey, if you got a house right now that you're trying to flip, get it out there on the market right now. But if you're looking to uh, invest in real estate, you need to chill right now because we don't know what is going to happen. And I think that that a Deshaun, that a, that a Mahomes, that a Dak Prescott, their patience will ultimately be rewarded. But the scenario that you're talking about and the sort of negotiating at the table that you're uh, you know, saying that owners may say, yeah, I can absolutely see that happen. Yeah, I mean, like if I'm if I'm Jerry Jones, I'm like, hey, listen, Dak, you know, I mean, we we love you, we think we think we think you're swell, fantastic, great, tremendous. I mean, but look, like we ain't got, you know, we just can't do, you know, thirty five million over four years. I mean, we just can't do it, can't do it. Now we can do, yeah, you know I mean, like he he's selling them on the like, let's get five years, you know, you get five years and whatever, you know, all the stuff that he wants to do. I mean, I guarantee you that Jerry Jones is talking about uh, the the cl- the climate in America, and that's why I think if Dak Prescott was smart, he would play the franchise tag this year. And then he just like, I'm not saying play chicken with a pandemic, but I kind of think he should like sign the tag. could be like, Hey, look, I like, you know, I'll wait until June 5th or July 15th when the deadline negotiated deal, we don't have anything done. I'll sign the tag. Um, you know, then I'll play for the Cowboys on a one year deal and, uh, then we'll figure it out after the off season. Like I think to me, and this is sort of veering off the top topic of no fans and games, but like to me, the franchise tag for quarterbacks, JJ is, 
is their friend more than it is their enemy in 2020. Yes, all things considered, and it and it kind of pains me to say that because I hate the franchise tag, oh. and I and, and I do I think we both understand and believe that Dak Prescott deserves to be paid exactly what he deserves to be paid. Um, but but you are right considering everything. And the other point that a source pointed out to me: there should really be no rush. Like the the deadline is July fifteenth. We have no idea what things are going to look like come July 15th. What we don't believe is that the Cowboys are going to pull and rescind this franchise, this exclusive rights tag offer off the table. And right. so if you, if you 100% that was the biggest, hold, was that, that was the biggest, not like that was the biggest nonsense story of the, of the offseason. That was, it was, it was, well, I don't know. There's been a lot of them, but that was, that was pretty nonsense. They're not. All right, what, was, what was worse? Taysom Hill, the taste of the 15 minutes pre, pre, pre pandemic 15 minutes. Is Taysom Hill uh, the the next franchise quarterback for the Saints, um, or uh, the Cowboys might let Dak Prescott walk into free agency? And should they do it because teams might ha- not have enough to sign him? Like get the f out of here! Every yeah. there's thirty teams like like Bill Belichick is like d- rescinding the tag on Joe Tooney to sign Dak Prescott if, if Jerry Jones lets him. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Yeah, it was it was a pretty ridiculous story. I agree. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will continue discussing what the NFL with no fans might look like. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, so as sort of happens on this podcast, I veered off into a sidebar, if you will. Um, but it was mildly, mildly relevant sidebar. Uh, back to the no fans thing. What do you think, JJ, is the most likely outcome? I mean, and again, you like you said, we don't know what's going to happen come July 15th. We don't know what's going to happen come May 15th. Uh, but Let's say the season starts on time, you know, Thursday after Labor Day. What do you, what do you envision in your mind the scene in the stands of an NFL game, assuming, you know, it starts? I think that some teams will have fans. I think other teams will not. Wow. Uh, I think that it's going to be very state by state, obviously, uh, as we, we have already seen. I don't have to cite (laughs) reports on that. Right. I mean, California is shutting it. Did I talk about this at the top of it? I mean, it's like Aaron, yeah. like, it's insane. Like California is like, like, I mean, we just, you know, we're not going to have, you know, in-person classes until 2021. Arizona's like, let's party. Friday right. sports, baby. It's like, what are you, what are you, who is in charge here? What's happening? So, so this is the third part of the series is it's, well, before I get to that, the first part of the series dealt with a little bit how you would place a certain amount of fans in the stadium. Again, I do not believe that a 70,000 seat stadium anywhere is going to seat 70,000 people this fall. Anywhere. <laughs> College pros. I guess that's, that's what I'm asking. Like, what do you think the cap on it? Like, so you think there will, you think there will be some fans and what do you think that cap would be right now? And so, 
So, so sources vary on this it, between 10, 15, 20,000. It obviously depends on the size of the stadium, right? But the Dolphins came out and said, hey, we have a 65, 65 or so thousand seat stadium. We can get 15 people, 15,000 people in here using social distance measure, uh, socially distanced measures. But uh, okay, the algorithm can say where you can seat fans, but here are the number of issues. We'll stay with me here. Um, uh, how are you going to do concessions? Are you going to have a host or hostess that's going to come by and uh, change gloves every time you're dealing with uh, money? Uh, are you going to have cashless? Or is your venue ready and prepared to, to do cashless, Apple Pay, and credit cards only? Uh, are you going to stand people in line six feet apart at the concession stand? Do you have concourses that are wide enough? Can your stadium actually handle that? What about in the bathrooms? How can you keep those clean? Are they motion activated? Uh, are they touchless? If you don't have that, how can anyone go to a restroom right now? All I've, never, these- I've never, I've never touching a toilet, a, a toilet that it doesn't reside in my house again. Ever. Sure. So these, these are issues. And then finally, the, the, the biggest issue is, okay, if you have season ticket holders and they have been seated, sitting in row 110, or section 110, row B, seats one and two right there on the aisle. They've done it for 20 years. And now you're telling them, well, you can't sit there. You're going to have to sit in section 520, row G, uh, seats nine and 10. Well, you won the lottery and you were able to get into this one home game, but you're not sitting in your seat. Somebody else is sitting in your seat. Who is? Maybe a season ticket holder, maybe a single game holder, because that's how the lottery worked out. How are you? Who? who <laughs> the sources kind of disagreed on if this would be worth it. It would be worth it financially. You would do more than break even. However, are these headaches going to ultimately be worth it? So that's what it looks like. But then you have the fairness of it. And teams have to go ahead and get... Uh, acquainted with the idea that there's going to be some fair and some unfair this season. And so if the California teams are having to play ostensibly 16 road games, well, you had to get the season in. And was it tough? Sure. Are there going to be some teams that play in their home stadium with no fans and other teams that play in their home stadium with 10 or 15,000? Yes. And that's where this third part of the series comes in about home field advantage. And my theory, based on talking with a bunch of folks who have theorized and studied this for a very long time, is that we're going to see a continued decrease in home field advantage because yeah. what we have what we have found is uh, the biggest uh, determining factor in home field advantage is the crowd's effect on the referees, especially when it comes to close calls in close games for the home team. And if basically, eliminate- basically, they're scared. That's yeah, right, right. For <laughs> lack for for lack of uh, yeah, for lack of an explanation, they they want to socially conform to the the wishes of the seventy thousand people who are around it. Right. It is. <laughs> it's so, it is. And so what we have seen since two thousand to twenty nineteen is an average home field advantage drop from two point nine points per game to two point two points per game. Last year we saw it be negative, negative 0.9 points for the home teams. First time that we had seen that. Now, we understand that home field advantage season to season is volatile, but we understand also that it has steadily decreased. Why is that? Well, you can look and see that in 1999, uh, instant replay challenges began in earnest in the NFL, and they have since been, been refined with each passing year, with the exception of last season and the pass interference call. And so one idea on this is that because... Um, the, the, the instant replay challenges there, that fewer calls, close calls are going for the home team. And so uh, I think that you are going to continue to see this decline in home field advantage, really everywhere outside of Denver, because I do think they have an atmosphere home field advantage, a very slight one. 
but yeah, with no fans, we're going to see a, a, a disappearance yeah. of Home Code Advantage. All right, so this is where it gets sort of interesting and might even be an actionable item for podcast listeners who like to dabble in uh, – in, in the in the gambling sphere, um, we That's talked right. we talked to Nick Bogdanovich um, earlier this week, and he pointed out that with the um, that that when they put these week one lines out at William Hill, um, and and this is true everywhere, that there is basically I think they've they've they haven't given him full home field advantage, but there is home field advantage built into the lines. Um, for instance, the Chiefs are ten and a half point favorites over the Houston Texans. That. That includes the three points of home field advantage that Vegas gives the Chiefs for having tons of fans at Arrowhead Stadium, uh, or Arrowhead Field. They're, they're not likely to be tons of fans at Arrowhead. Uh, so if you like the Texans or if you like the Packers catching three and a half at Minnesota, where the Vikings have a tremendous home field advantage because the stadium has been built with, um, you know, with phonetics in mind and, and how, uh, or, you know, with, with like sound in mind and how it carries and how loud it gets with that big bullhorn. Uh, you should take the teams that are underdogs on the road, uh, or, or even their short favorites on the road that might, you know, that might be bigger favorites on the road. Um, it, I guess what I'm saying is like, now is the time to take these lines because you're getting an extra two or three points that's built in when, as you know, JJ, as you're pointing out in the article and the, in the articles in the, in this, this lengthy piece, like it's probably not going to be that many fans. That's exactly right. And we have seen that non-divisional games are really about 2.95 points uh, for the home team in terms of home field advantage. Divisional games are closer to one and a half points. Right. And, you know, we can get into familiarity. We can get into, uh, you know, ease of travel. The one really interesting thing, though, is that no one can really agree. Everyone sort of believes that, that referees are the, have the greatest effect on home field advantage. But you look at Denver. And I, I thought Denver really got away with it here because they have the Buccaneers and the Titans at home in September. You don't win in Denver at the beginning of the season because you do, you always have the altitude, you have warmer temperatures and you have less conditioned athletes. And so I'm very interested in those lines, the, the two Broncos home games early in the season. I know they lost both last year, but historically they have always been dominant, disproportionately dominant. And when you look across all sports, the Nuggets, the Broncos, and the Rockies all have the highest home field advantage in their respective sports, and the Colorado Avalanche are seventh in the NHL. Hmm. Uh, the uh, yeah, NHL is a weird beast when it comes to home field advantage. The Broncos are currently minus two and a half against the Tennessee Titans. Um, I, I almost think that that might be one where you hold off though, because the I would guess that the Broncos, I would guess that it ends up being a pick'em. And this all depends on like training camp too. Like if no one gets a chance to, like if Drew Locke comes up and lights up training camp, this might be four. But if we don't have to, if there's minimal training camp or, you know, I mean, like, you know what I mean? It's, it's just so hard to tell. So, uh, yeah, I, but I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the Broncos, especially the Titans will be starting that game at like 920 PM central time, you know, yeah. body clock atmosphere. That's going to be a wreck. I mean, that is one where if you get a short money line and the line moves a little bit towards Tennessee, like, I think you're jumping all over the Broncos. Uh, so the Dolphins have a plan in place or they, they, do the Dolphins have a plan in place? They have a thing they discussed, right? Tom Garfinkel talked about it on Good Morning America for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. They, they sort of have a plan in place and it sounds good until you really dig into it. So I'll watch that. And obviously I'm very deep into this story at that point. The story hadn't run yet, but I'm deep into my reporting on that. 
And I'm just kind of shaking my head because like, it sounds good to, for lack of a better term, the layman who hasn't really thought this, thought this through and talked with industry uh, executives and professionals, but that plan is lacking so many details. And that's why a number of people across the league that I spoke to after that, after that came out, they were like, yeah, don't really love the Dolphins doing that because they put us in a position where our fans are asking, well, where's your plan? And it's difficult for, for Team X to point to Miami and be like, yeah, their plan doesn't even make sense. Yeah. So they said, um, uh, the quote is that th- like to exit, they would, uh, you would sit spaced out in the stands and exit quote, much like a church environment, uh, end quote, where you basically go row to row. Uh, I don't know if Tom Garfinkel has ever been to church with 15,000 people. It ain't going to work <laughs> like that, Tom. You think this, like, you think this game, like everybody's going to wait until the, like, uh, zero's on the clock. Now we shall gracefully exit the South Florida sun after drinking 14 beers. Like that's, that's what, I mean, like, is it, by the way, is there going to be booze at these games? Like, I mean, I mean, that's a legitimate concern, right? It, it, it has to be. And you're absolutely right. And look at, look at American human behavior on anything that has reopened in the last couple of weeks. Like, right. yeah, they're not filing out like a traditional Methodist Florida, church. Florida people are down there doing push-ups in front of like the, 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 the courthouse or whatever. You think these people are just going to calmly go to a Dolphins game? Get yeah. the F out of here. This is not. It's, it's, and then, and then the, the other thing is, let's say, okay, maybe your plan works for your stadium, but the Superdome, for example, has like the smallest concourses known to man. Same with Pittsburgh and, and Heinz Field. Like what, what one plan, what one stadium, what one team has is not going to fit another team. And so it's not, that's why I say there, there probably will be some fans somewhere, and then there are going to be other places where you have no chance, of course, after hearing about California, you're going to have no chance of having any fans in the city. Let me ask, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, and feel free to you know, decline to answer and tell Diva to cut it out if you don't want to ask. But, like, if you had to, if you had to cover it, would you cover a week one game right now? As a, I would. I would. Yeah, I, I would. Um, obviously, I would hope that there would be measures in place. I would understand that it would not be the same. Like, I wouldn't be wading through a locker room uh, after <laughs> after the game, you know? Touching, but, going uh, go bear on everybody, go bear on everybody's mics. Like, hey. That's right. But I would hope that the press box would be open, that we would have social distance measures. I would obviously wear a mask. Um, and, you know, afterward, if if all we're doing is having – you know, uh, you know, in, a, in an auditorium and having press conferences, and I can't get uh, that one-on-one. It would be unfortunate. There's, there's no doubt about it. But I think I would do that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, I like if yeah, if CBS is like, hey, you're going to a game. Like, I'm, I'm going to go do it. But I just, I was just sort of walking through in my mind, like both. I mean, just sort of picturing myself go, walking through a stadium, both as a fan, like. You know, like, you know, I mean, I go to NC State games. I don't know that I would go to a, I mean, I sure as heck wouldn't take, you know, my son to an NC State game in the fall right now and, or any college football game for that matter, or any, or any really like, a, you know, any, any sort of giant large gathering. And, you know, there's a lot to, you know, we're going to go down the road on this a good ways before we really know what actions we will take as a society. But like, I just think the way that I, I don't know, like it, it gives me the heebie jeebies thinking about walking into a stadium. And everybody's wearing masks and you have a third of the normal crowd that you would have. The, the energy will be so bizarre. You have all three people, you know, I mean, all, you know, all these people spread out six feet apart. You know, somebody every six seats or something like that. It just like, it, it, if that, if that's what happens, it is going to be a weird thing 
to 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 really walk through. It is, and it 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 is going to be weird for everyone. There's no doubt at all about it. But if it means actually playing the games, which we are seeing may or may not happen with two major sports leagues, right? As we talk and things may be different once this publishes. But if it's the difference in in helping save a salary cap and making sure players are paid and making sure we are still entertained, then I think everyone ultimately will will get on board because they have to. Is there a chance that it's like more enjoyable to watch a football game like this? Like you're gonna like you're gonna get like six seats to yourself. Uh, it's, it is arguable, but in, in a weird way, you know what I'm saying? Like you're like, you sort of relax and I don't know, I guess you're not going to relax. Like you're like wiping down these seats every five seconds. May somebody, somebody needs to come up with something new talking about concessions where you go into a system, man, I should come up. We should invent this like after we get done podcasting, but like you go into a system and let's say you're going to a one o'clock game at Mercedes Benz stadium. Um, just for, do they sell chicken on Sundays? Chick-fil-A? Uh, they do not. They don't, right? Yeah, only on Saturdays. That's right. Uh, so you go to Mercedes Benz Stadium. You got yourself and, uh, two of your buddies and you're all going to sit together in an 18 seat section, uh, you know, lower level, whatever. You can go onto an online system before you go and prepay for X number of concessions. Let's say you're like, all right, I want three beers, uh, and a, and a burger while I'm there. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. That might be the way to do it. So you, you minimize transactions and you've got like a QR code and you just, you know, a lady comes by and brings you your food. And, um, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if that's feasible or viable, but it just feels like, well, and, and it's a great idea. We'll get ahead of the curve on it. Right. It's a great idea. Do teams have the infrastructure for it? And Mercedes Benz Stadium is sort of a state of the art stadium that right. is cashless. Um, and they do have, you know, uh, in a normal year, 200, 250 events. Uh, in there, but uh, a team, or excuse me, a stadium again that's a little bit older that does not have that infrastructure again. I live uh, right beside the Panther Stadium, Bank of America Stadium, and the mobile ticketing introduction was an absolute disaster for the first <laughs> half of the season. Whenever they did that, and it, you know, and it took them months. And honestly, they thought about it for a very long time, and they rolled it out, and it was still a disaster. Now you're telling teams like, hey. We haven't really known what was going on, and this virus kind of crept up on us. Uh, but now we need you to be cashless and mobile ticketing and tell all your fans that they're never going to touch anything again. Yeah, I mean, Bank of America Stadium has been there since, I think, 96, when it was yeah. – remember, it was Ericsson? It was Ericsson? Ericsson, that's right. The old, the old cell phone company, wasn't that it? That's right. Um, and, I mean, like, that's a – I mean, that's – you know, it doesn't feel like it's that old because it was made in the 90s. But I mean, that's a 25-year-old stadium. Life was extremely different in 1996 uh, than it is in 20, you know, in 2018 or whatever, whenever it is, 2017, 2016, whenever Mercedes-Benz Stadium opened. Um, and it, it, you know, I, I just wonder, like, if this, th- this virus, do you, how big of a deal do you think this will have on the long-term viability of, of a full, of full stadiums? Like, are we heading to a place where? Everybody plays in like the Chargers stadium, like smaller stadiums with less fans. I'm I'm not sure, and I thought about this right. And and listeners don't take this for gospel like you like you wouldn't take anything that Will Brinson says for gospel. Correct. But uh, I I do think that we're ultimately going to as a as a people introduce new measures, right? We we may not shake hands as much, right? We may not do X, Y, or Z like we used to. Okay, got it. Maybe we finally start washing our hands more than we did. 
But is it going to change us so much that we make our stadium smaller and that we sit uh, with five or six seats between us and that we always carry uh, Lysol uh, wipes with us? I don't know if it's going to, to wildly change us in that way. Um, I, but again, will, will stadiums who have been putting off mobile ticketing because certain fans, their older fans don't like it or cashless because certain fans don't like it. I can see a lot of that changing. Maybe your, your concourses are wider because you don't want people on top of each other. So the new stadiums may have some of these measures in place, but not necessarily where, all right, let's just have a charger stadium full of people. Uh, and that'll be that. All right, Jonathan Jones, awesome stuff, man. Uh, excellent three-part series. You can check it out. Uh, no fans allowed. Uh, read it on CBSSports.com. It's also in the description of this podcast. All three articles, part one, part two, and part three. Follow him at jjones9 on uh, Twitter for lots of great NFL insight and plenty of MJ tweets. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.